Welcome to Bad Patient, Malpractice Makes Perfect. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Laura Bears. And we are two non-medical, non-experts sifting through this week's health news. And this week's words are kidney, bridged accents, 420, and eat slowly. How are you? tell you right now. How are you I feeling, don't. Robin? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm better, actually. Yesterday, I did my first long run of the year, and... Unlike some other longer workouts that I've tried, I, I managed to not, like, collapse afterward. Meaning, like, I didn't feel like I had a workout hangover the next day. And, I mean, it was exciting. I actually, like, jumped for joy at the end of this run. Like, I, I sent my brother a video of me dancing in my living room to, like, I was like, this is what it feels like to run five miles after not running five miles for, like, eight weeks. So... It's not 100% back to normal, but, you know, I was having a little bit of chest discomfort this week, fired up my vaporizer like the 95-year-old woman I have now become, and, yeah, you know what? That thing works. Good. It should. True story. True story. I'm considering packing it in my suitcase for this upcoming trip because I have to stay in a hotel, and I know that, like, even when I just turned off the vaporizer for a few days at my house, like things kind of got worse. And so I thought, Oh my gosh, you know how hotels are like so dry. It's like when it gets dry and then like that tissue gets irritated. I don't know what it is like the tube bleeding to your lungs. It, it's something about that just makes me feel tired and awful. And if it's, if there's more humidity in the air, I just feel better. And I just thought, you know what, why am I overthinking this? Like I get, a free checked bag. Like, why don't I just put this thing in a little suitcase of its own and take it to Ohio? So that's, that's my story now. I'm going to travel with my vaporizer. (laughs) I could go to the store and get another one. Like they're not expensive, but I'm usually so tired when I arrive that I just thought, no, no, the perfect solution is just to dry the thing off and take it with me. Do you think that's like crazy? Yes. But I like it. But it's going to work. I know. Like, it's crazy. And I'm going to be so embarrassed if anyone, I'm saying if anyone finds out, like, I don't know. I wouldn't want, like, everyone in the world to find out. Good thing we're not posting this on the internet. <laughs> I mean, I Hang know. on, guys. Let me go blog about it. <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm putting this, I'm filing this under, like, whatever works. You know, because for a few days I just thought, oh, it's so dumb. I keep filling up this thing and, you know, I should like toughen up and not need it. And then I just realized, no, my my dumb lungs hurt. And I don't know why. I don't know why they're so sensitive still, but they are. And so they're dumb lungs. Get with the program doing, lungs. Uh, yeah. Come on, lungs. No, that, that's not how I talk to them. I'm like, come on, lungs. You can do it. I bought this special tea. You know, because, okay, you can, you're only supposed to take echinacea for so long before it actually, like, decreases your immune response, if it even works at all, which is really questionable, and it probably doesn't. But anyway, I switched to this other tea called Breathe Deep that's supposed to support respiratory health, and I've been drinking that every day, and I started taking a multivitamin, and so I'm just throwing every possible placebo 
at like the little remnants of this illness that remain because I have to believe that things are going to continue to improve and go well. And I just want to feel like I'm doing everything possible. That being said, I also recognize that if there was like a reality show about my life, it would be getting weirder and weirder at this juncture. (laughs) So I'd ask you how your health is, but I think that you like a normal person recovered a month ago. I did. I did. Way to abandon me. Well, I didn't, I didn't realize we were doing the extended season. I just thought we were just doing the normal (laughs) one. So I, I booked it wrong. That that's on me. (laughs) That's my bad. Uh, yeah. Won't be doing that again for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) no 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 i mean in all seriousness i kind of came to realize that i've been lucky to not have things have been much more serious as well this week so there's definitely people out there who have life-threatening illnesses and things that they're considering and so yeah i think we're just at the eight week mark for me your cat clearly agrees you know wants me to feel better but also understands people there's other sicker people out there yeah i mean she's she understands but she's kind of kind of moody about it (laughs) that's fair that's fair all right are you ready for our first article sure comes from cnn and it's kidney stones on the rise in the united states study suggests so this was a study published in the Journal of Mayo Clinic Proceedings, and it looks at the prevalence of kidney stones over almost three decades, from 1984 to 2012, at over 10,000 residents of Minnesota. Just Minnesota? That's what it says. That's weird. Uh, And that it showed that kidney stones are increasing more than fourfold among women and twofold around in men. Um, Man. And the largest increase was in the 18 to 39 year olds. And there are a couple of reasons why they think this is happening. It's one that people don't eat or drink enough water. So, uh, that's, that's it. And there's also, uh, talking about how very painful it is. But also they think that, um, sonography uh has improved um in the last three decades and so it's more common and so we're able to uh oh diagnose we're diagnosing it more because we can see it yeah so uh but they don't think that's that's wholly for the uh increase counts for the increase so um they think there are some other reasons too they also compare a kidney stone for men they call it male childbirth because it's so very painful didn't we talk about this before comparing pain to childbirth yeah that's that's that is that childbirth is the measure in which we compare all other pain to yeah which is just annoying just annoying i have heard that it's extremely painful there's been people i work with and I think your husband has them as well. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think it was him that told us he was tired of people comparing it to childbirth. So stop doing that, researchers. People yeah. are sick of it. Nobody cares uh, about your male childbirth. So have you ever had a kidney stone? No, not, not that I'm aware of. And I, after reading this study, I feel like I would be aware of it. Because <laughs> I, I feel yeah, like I would have noticed one. if I was in enough pain that I could have given birth to a baby. But instead, it was a tiny, tiny stone. <laughs> yeah, I think 
I've heard different things. Like, I've heard that some of the conventional wisdom about preventing them is not accurate. So I'm looking this up really fast on the kidney, the National Kidney Foundation. I've come to sometimes think that the the health articles from some of the big, you know, like Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, like those are pretty good. But every once in a while, I'll realize that the information is somewhat out of date. So it looks like they created a, an online encyclopedia of medical problems. They put it on their website because they think, oh, people come to, you know, Johns Hopkins or whatever to find this information. But sometimes they're not like completely up on it. Whereas I'm finding more and more that the nonprofit foundations, because they just focus on one thing, are really, really on top of it. So source update. <laughs> I'm looking at new things um, or I'm looking at different things. But because I've heard that like calcium can be a problem, but like this site is saying like many are under the impression that it's the main culprit. There's different types of stones. Yeah. But it says a diet low in calcium actually increases your risk of developing kidney stones. So there's that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so there's calcium oxalitate stones and there's uric acid stones, which are, I think they're saying it's from this compound called purine. So a high purine intake this one guy says leads to higher production of uric acid, which produces a larger acid loads for the kidneys to excrete. There's some pH changes and it can cause these stones to form. So they're saying this site says cut down on red meat, organ meats. Cause you know, I don't know about you. I'm just eating a ton of animal organs every chance I get. I'm like more liver, uh, organ meats and shellfish. And then they're suggesting, the usual fruits, vegetables, whole grains, low-fat dairy, alcohol can increase uric acid. I'm wondering how to prevent these calcium exalitate ones, though. Okay. So this site says exalitate is naturally found in many foods, uh, including peanuts, rhubarb, spinach, beets, chocolates, sweet potatoes. So if you were to form that type of stone then decreasing foods that are high in oxalate. Ox, oxalate? Do you know, you know how to what, pronounce that? Uh, I mean, yes, Robin. I It's oxalate. Mm. Okay. <laughs> You're just making that up. <laughs> yes, Robin. A, I can't <laughs> see it. B, I don't know what you're talking about. It's, C, <laughs> it's a medical fucking term. The fuck if I know? Well, it's like a chemistry say, thing. Say it with conviction. <laughs> Oxalate. <laughs> I haven't really... I've heard of the different types of kidney stones, because I know... How do you know it, what type you have? Well, when they take it out, they can check and see, I think. That's weird. I don't know. Let's I see. Thought they sh- like, I thought they blasted them to smithereens. Well, they, they laser them. Here's me Googling type of kidney stone. How can you tell? Oh, if possible, try to save your kidney stone if you pass one so that you could bring it to your doctor for analysis. Do they look different? Well, I'm guessing there's some kind of lab test. I don't think the doctor's going to eyeball it (laughs) and say what it is. I think they just look at it and say, yep, this is a calcium one. 
Well, it looks like the calcium ones are the most are the most common. Yep, so. that's why they just say it's a calcium one. <laughs> but interestingly, so eating less calcium does not prevent them, and in fact, not having enough calcium can be a problem. Because then your body doesn't know what to do with it? Mm-hmm. Well, no. I mean, I don't know how that works, but they said there was a link between low calcium and forming these stones, so it's kind of counterintuitive. But from our most trusted source, the Kidney Foundation, the National Kidney Foundation. Yeah. Just so you know, it's on the rise, so yeah. drink your water. I just feel like this is another one of those things that you can't really prevent because the kidney side is saying don't reduce oxalate-containing cont- foods in your diet because they're, like, really healthy otherwise. <laughs> so. so instead... Well, maybe oh. this is why it's on the rise because there's nothing no. people can do about it. There is something. Okay, this makes sense. They're saying try to consume foods that have calcium and foods that have oxalate at the same time, which would make them more likely to bind to one another in your stomach before your kidneys even get them for processing, making it less likely that the kidney stones will form. I'm not sure that makes complete sense to me either. Sounds slightly made up, but okay. Mm. Yeah. Wait, so what does this study actually, like, what does, what does this article, like, ask us to do? Anything? Drink a lot of water? Yeah. Uh Three quarts a day, four cups and a quart, three quarts a day, 12, cup, 12 cups a day. No. No. You're supposed to drink 64 ounces. That's eight cups. I don't know. 12 People, cups a day is seems too like much. A lot. I mean, that's ridiculous. I just feel like I would, I would be in the bathroom all the time. Yeah. Plus, they're not taking into account the size of the person, sweat rate of the person, weather that the person is exposed to, amount of activity. Although, I guess, you know, if you, if you ha- have had them in the past, <laughs> you should be making two and a half quarts of urine a day. That's a lot of pee. Yeah. I would say it's a shit ton, but that's a different, that's a different measurement. Different, different body system, whole different thing, Laura whole different thing it's this whole Uh, it's its own thing they also said reducing sodium can help i don't know about that that's unfortunate oh yep kidney foundation yes they they agree they said work to cut back on sodium in your diet i'm gonna see if they say anything about water yep they also say to drink water Okay, so I'm saying if you want to prevent kidney stones, those are your three things. Drink enough water. If you can drink 12 cups a day, please send us an email at hello at thebadpatient.com and let us know what in God's name that looks like. I want pictures. I want actual notes from your day. So drink your water, reduce sodium, and eat calcium-containing and oxalate-containing foods at the same time. Hashtag, the more you know. Mm, If I get a kidney stone, I'm going to be pissed. Get it? Get it? I didn't mean that one on purpose, but that's my dad joke for the day. You met your quota. Good job, Robin. (laughs) Thank you. 
What's right. our next story? Our next story comes from the Washington Post, and it's an American says she fell asleep with a headache and woke up with a British accent. Did she have a stroke? Oh, this uh, Arizona woman uh, says she went to bed with an extreme headache and woke up um, with a foreign accent. And it is foreign foreign accent syndrome. Uh hmm. And it typically occurs with strokes or traumatic brain injuries, and it damages the language center of a person's brain to the degree that their native language sounds like uh, tinged with a foreign accent. Um, and she did not have a stroke, but she does have something that prevents blood going to her brain on a regular basis or something. She has some kind of medical conditions that might have contributed to it. Oh, yeah. They're calling it possibly a hemiplegic migraine, mm-hmm. which they said are producing similar similar symptoms to a stroke. I have never heard of this. Well, there's a reason. Uh, it was first di- documented in 1907 with a French neurologist uh, surveyed a Parisian man who suffered a stroke and then spoke with an, um, a French-German border region accent. And there have, over the next century, there have only been about 60 cases that were documented in literature. So so it's super rare. Super duper rare. But Mm. she is not, uh, she does not find it funny. So don't tell her (laughs) she sounds like a Spice Girl. Um, But it, one of the cases took place in um, World War II. And, um, the person li- was in occupied France and she woke up sounding like a German. And so she like wouldn't, she was like refused service in like French shops because they thought she was a German. And that's kind of, <laughs> kind of the strangest thing. I just, it's just like a super rare syndrome. And, um, I mean, I think I've heard of this before. Um, because like the accent, like, they have an accent, yes, but, like, it's, like, a bad accent. Like, it doesn't sound <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that, you know, they're calling it foreign accent syndrome, but they're describing it as simple changes in speech that can come across like an accent, but aren't the actual accent. Yeah. So, yeah. saying instead of saying this and that, you say this and that. Yeah, which the article describes as, quote, foreign sounding. But I don't know. I would actually say that those are very American pronunciations for certain people in our country. Yeah. Hmm. So. Yeah, the, the comments on the article are rather amusing. One person just inexplicably published, like, a ten-stanza poem in a weird accent. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, publish everywhere. I uh, yeah. do for the exposure. And like one person said, I was raised and educated in England. I'm quite familiar with regional accents in the UK. This woman's accent sounds fake. Well, I think that's the point. It's something changed in her brain such that she can no longer produce the same sounds. Like she can't make the sound anymore. So it's, it would almost be a sign that she really has it, that it does sound fake. Like, People, I wish that that person had taken a more thoughtful stance. Yeah. 
So it's always. I bet this is. I bet this is more harmful than we think. It's one of those things that sounds kind of like, oh, ha ha. But imagine if you have a fake sounding accent all the time. So yeah. everywhere you go, everyone you talk to just thinks, why is this person affecting this bad accent and not even doing it skillfully? Yeah. And so it, everyone's just voice annoying. itself changes. Like, you know, that has to yeah. be hard. Like, this is my voice now. Yeah. Because think of how it is when you're sick and you have like the weird, you know, you're, when you're getting better, but your voice sounds weird if you have to get on a call or for work or something and... You know, people are like, oh, it's like people respond to you differently because you sound different. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. So that's why I gave it to you, Robin. (laughs) I like it. Yeah, she says I would give anything to be normal. Hmm. Well, I looked up her migraine, her migraine variant. And the, I don't know if I'm saying it right, hemiplegic or, play, I don't know. Say it with conviction. <laughs> hemiplegic. There we go. Uh, simply means paralysis on one side of the body. So they're going to have like, it would almost be like during their migraine, like one half of their body will be weak or hard to use. So. It's kind of like a stroke. Yeah. And they're saying that that can cause speech problems, vision problems, cognitive problems like confusion, uh, but usually it goes away within 24 hours. So maybe in her case, it just, she had this and it lingered. It sucks, man. And this is from the Migraine Trust, since I'm using different sources. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) All right, Laura, what's the next one? So our next one comes from Fox News, and it's fatal car crashes higher on 420 marijuana holiday. I don't know if you've heard, but marijuana is secretly behind all of the health problems in America. Yeah, well, this is a, a review of 25 years worth of car crashes data uh, <laughs> that have been linked to the so-called high holiday, uh, which is on April 20th, 420, and the rise of fatal car accidents. So... Uh, this is looking at data from 1992 to, to present, um, because in, uh, 1992, there was an article in High Times magazine, which popularized the informal event, uh, to the common man. And High Times is actually still out there. Yeah. So, uh, they compared the the fatalities from the week before and the week after and that it they concluded that it was up 12% uh, or uh, 142 deaths. <laughs> and my favorite paragraph, other studies have found a similarly elevated risk linked with alcohol and driving on Super Bowl Sunday and New Year's Eve. Most accidents had no police data on drug testing, so there's no way to confirm that marijuana was involved. So, I mean, I guess I would I would say that they're probably not wrong to link those things, you know, if they're seeing a spike. 
Yeah, so it's basically looking at, you know, we're legalizing this thing, but we don't know of a a proper um, level that, you know, to avoid driving. And um, I think it said that 60% of uh, Coloradians thought it was safe to smoke and drive. Which seems a little silly. Like, it's a mind-altering drug. I mean, I guess depending on what strain you're using and stuff, but, like, it's it's mind-altering altering on some levels, right? Like, um, there was actually a really interesting article in a local weekly here called the Willamette Week um, in Portland. And I can't... Um, the piece was called, Are You High? There's an app that will tell you... Um, I don't know if they ever put it online, but someone made an app to help people figure out whether or not they were safe to drive. And it was for any substance, not just pot. But one of the things that drove the creation of this was that there's no apparently, there's something like there was no standardized test or that the limit, the... There is no standardized test and there is no uh, limit. There is no level of safe... um, driving of any level with marijuana it's not right it's not able they can't test it and so that's one of the things that like law enforcement struggle with because they can't um and because it lingers they can't tell if you took a hit right before they pulled you over or four days ago right exactly but they they do sometimes test for it and people are getting like duis as a result of having cannabis like metabolites in their system so like it's a a sign that you had consumed something Mm -hmm. you know but there's no there's no way of proving when they took it but people are people are getting like an actual dui from this so um the the app i think that i was talking about which is called druid i just found it and it's actually it's online now so you can read the article if you want um and I'll, i'll put a link in the show notes but it's just like a cognitive test. Like you take it when you're sober and then you can take it if you've been using some substance to see if you're really safe to drive. So I kind of like that. They're trying to like remove the subjective judgment piece of it, but it kind of, it does kind of bother me that, you know, someone could get a DUI and not be intoxicated. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. so but I also, I think I talked about this in a recent episode, read that article where they breathalyzed people and a, a lot of people who thought they were safe to drive were not. So mm-hmm. we, we, really can't, wish... we can't safely gauge that sometime. Yeah. And so uh, in the article, it also talks about how uh, I think it was Colorado worked with like Uber in order to offer discounted uh, rides for people who were partaking in the holiday of 420 <laughs> in order to reduce. So really the takeaway is that, you know, if you're going to smoke, you should have a designated driver. Who's or just use Lyft. Yeah. N- not Uber. Yeah. Uber's been having some problems. All right. But I think the most serious Uber problem, which I like to think is apolitical is that they disseminated within their company the medical records of a woman who was raped during an uber experience and she was suing them and like 
they got a hold of her information and they, you know, it was supposed to be only shared with people who really needed to know. And they ended up sharing it with a lot of people. And I think that that's really reprehensible. So Lyft, not Uber, please. I feel like that's apolitical. Yes. Yeah. Like, and there've been other things, but like that to me, when people are like, I don't know, I just think they're the same. I'm like, no, they're not the same. They're not the same. And that's not a one-off for Uber. It's like one in a string of things. But I feel like no matter how you feel politically, because some of it was political, but no matter how you feel politically, I still think that Lyft is the better choice. You with me? Yeah. And plus (laughs) Lyft always sends me uh, discounted rides. Lots of discounts. I know. Like 50% of my Lyft rides are discounted because it's always 10% off. Although sometimes it's like hard to figure out, you know, they're like, okay, it's between 7 and 9 a.m. Monday through Friday this week. And I'm like, okay, okay. I don't know if I'm going to the airport that week, but yeah, yeah. I get a couple bucks off. And I like that they let you tip the Lyft driver in the app. Yeah. Like, whereas Uber, you would have to have cash if you want to tip the driver. Mm-hmm. And Lyft, you can just, you can leave one, two, or five dollars. Yeah, which is very nice Mm -hmm. because if you get two dollars off then you might as well just give your two dollars to the driver absolutely (sighs) so will you be partaking in the uh, high holiday (laughs) uh i do not think so no (laughs) No. i won't be either (laughs) i don't really know about like like the concept of doing it just to do it but let's suffice it to say that even if I was going to um, the the magazine that I run once a year has two issues that go to press on the same date and it is that day. And so there was a very low chance and now there is no chance. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You ready for our last article? Uh, Yes, ma'am. So our last article comes from WebMD, and it's one to keep the weight off, eat more slowly. Oh, no. Yep. I don't eat slowly all the time. Well, you need to eat more slowly. So according to uh, a study by Japanese researchers, um, eating more slowly will help you uh, drop those unwanted pounds. And avoiding after-dinner snacks and eating anything in the two hours before you go to bed will also help. What? Did you just pick this story because you know about my snack habits? Do you know about my snack habits? You don't. (gasps) I do not know about your snack. I'm a bad snacker. Well, okay. I mean, listen, I feel a little uh, defensive about this because I've read so many places that you're not supposed to eat before bed, but a lot of times... I feel great if I eat right before I go to bed because I think it's like, like I, I work out in the evening and like dinner has to happen in there somewhere. But sometimes it's like I just need to top off the tank a little bit because if I go to bed and I'm hungry, there will be no sleep until my body gets the food that it wants. Like none. It just won't. But sometimes I'm not sure. Like you'll be like, you know, you're like a little bit hungry. And then it, and then it, and then I lie there for an hour, and then I am like, oh, I need to eat. So, so like a lot of times, I have like a banana and peanut butter, or like some milk, or like God knows what. But I have it right before bed, and it just it removes the issue. But yeah, I, gosh, I feel like 
I must have read it a dozen places not to eat and then lie down, not to eat at the end of the day. I just feel like a lot of this stuff is also, this is my excuse, but I feel like sometimes the whole world is set up for morning people. And if you're more like a person who's more active in the evening, then nothing makes sense, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So this study is just mostly talking about <laughs> eating slower. <laughs> We've hit on a Robin anxiety point. <laughs> okay. So compared to people who gobbled up their food, those who ate at a normal speed were 29% less likely to be obese. But those who ate slowly were up to 42% less likely to be obese. And it doesn't ever say, like, what is fast and what is slow. Yeah. Which is unhelpful. It's very unhelpful. Yeah. Like, what um, does that even mean? Yeah, I don't know. Who the f- who the fuck knows? So eat more slowly. Okay. Like, did they just did they videotape people eating? How awkward was this study? No, I don't think so. But okay, the study is called "Effects of Changes in Eating Speed on Obesity in Patients with Diabetes." A secondary... Is this the right one? A secondary analysis of longitudinal health checkup data. No, maybe this isn't it. I'm not sure. That sounds right. Does it? But it's 20... Data from 20, 2008 to 2013? Is this it? Yeah. Okay. So let's see. It was Japanese men and women... They had type 2 diabetes. They defined three speeds. Guess what they were? What? Fast, normal, slow. A generalized estimating equation model was used to examine the effects of these habits on obesity. Okay, we're going to have to like go through and figure this out. But yeah, I, wanna, I want someone to watch me and tell me how fast I eat. Eat fast. You're saying you do or I do? You do. Because <gasps> I'm super hungry. Do you eat fast? No, I, I don't I think eat you fast. do. I do. Hmm. I blame it on my conditioning in high school. You, I know. They gave you 23 minutes for um, uh, lunch because it was required that we have... 28 minutes and if you include from when the bell rings at the first time and then when the bell rings for the last time that was 28 minutes but really it was just 23 minutes between the bells and Uh, I always bought lunch so you had to go through the line and eat within 23 minutes so uh, and it took like 10 to 15 minutes to go through the the damn line you know like yeah. so I I blame it on that we had the same kind of situation. And I remember yet sometimes I would buy lunch and have the same problem. Uh, I also remember with extreme fondness certain cafeteria lunches. There was one called a fiestata, which was a like a octagon shaped piece of like flatbread is a very generous definition and then kind of like a tomatoey taco sauce and then ground beef and cheese mm-hmm. and uh i'm pretty sure it the food was the same quality level as a taco bell taco 
But I just remember being like, it's Fiestata day, all right. And I knew that 20 minutes for lunch, which is about what we had too, wasn't very much time. But I remember it not being a big deal. And it's kind of horrifying. Because I think, I don't know about you, but I think my eating style is that like I don't take a lot of breaks while I'm eating. Yeah. Like I just, I just eat. Like I just, if there's more food, I keep eating. And if someone's there, I might talk a little bit. But in general, like how long does it take to eat dinner? It certainly doesn't take 20 minutes, does it? I don't know. Oh, gosh. That's because we gobble up her food. Yeah. So just say eating, eating after dinner and within two hours before sleeping is a risk factor for metabolic syndrome. Also skipping breakfast. Well, lucky, luckily for, for me, I never skip breakfast. I always skip breakfast. Ever. Ever. Wait, this is, this is what I don't understand. This what? is what I don't understand about that, Laura. What? Everything. I don't understand anything about... Like, explain to me... Don't you feel bad? No. So, it's 10 a.m. You've eaten zero calories. And yeah. you just feel completely normal? Yeah. I've also done it since I was, like, 12. So, 18 oh. years. So, are you one of those people that gets nauseous when you eat in the morning? Sometimes. I've heard about that. Sometimes. Dude. That and I just really, really love sleep. Oh, okay. So you want to go to bed instead of eating? No, I mean, I stay in bed instead of waking up and eating. That's oh. what started it. Actually, that's not true. What started is I read that uh, eating breakfast will jumpstart your metabolism and help you lose weight. And I was a very skinny child. And I thought, well, then I just won't eat breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that was... I mean, it was 13-year-old logic. Like, if one does this, yeah. then X, you know, the opposite does Y, then I'll gain weight. And now I'm yeah. now I'm uh, fat, and I still don't eat breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I would put you in that category. Uh, I'm overweight. Why don't you just be like Donald Trump and just be one pound away? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, <laughs> like... Like, I I wish I was lighter, but I'm not prepared to change any of my habits or eating habits, so I guess this is where I live. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm prepared to change some habits, but I don't know. I don't really think the snacking before bed is that bad in my case. Like, uh-huh. I think it might be better if, well, it well, might be better if there yeah. was more time mm-hmm. before I lie down. Uh-huh. Then, Sure. <laughs> okay, I still maintain that there is a bias against, yeah. against all the science people. research says that it's bad for you, but you, Robin, you are <laughs> unique and original and separate, and that doesn't apply to you. <laughs> Snowflake. I know. I know. <laughs> Acid reflux impossible. <laughs> so no, it, it's just like it's just a timing. It's just a timing thing. Uh huh. I know. You're unique. It's okay. It doesn't affect you. <laughs> What's your uh, current medical fascination? You mean other than how to shift my eating around so that I'm not having snacks at 11 p.m.? Yes, and that, and other than how to ship your uh, your dehumidifier cross country. <laughs> okay, I know. I was actually thinking about like that. I think if I check it, it'll be totally fine. But 
if the TSA goes in and takes out any part of my my humidifier, I will be rather upset, right? Because I had to go through all the embar- the potential embarrassment of packing it, and then they, you know, maybe I could wrap it in foil <laughs> so it'll just look like a it'll just look like a bomb. And it seems like a really bad idea, Robin. Not allowed to have. I feel like I'm. I feel like a vaporizer is a thing you are allowed to check. Like, right? I mean, why not? Like, there's no. It's not flammable. It's not plugged in. The thing, the problem is that the TSA, there's not a lot of logic, you know? Yeah, they can get Wait, finicky. true story. Did I ever tell you that I took, I took some cans, I took two cans of beans and two cans of tomatoes through the pre-check x-ray successfully? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Right as it was going through, my bag was in the scanner. They were looking at it. A person, they claimed, they claimed that someone like jumped the line and ran into the airport, which seems impossible. So they shut down the whole line, which caused me to have like a spike in blood pressure and heart rate because I was kind of running a little bit late for my flight. And so while we're standing there, it's completely silent because the first thing you think when things shut down in an airport is that we're all going to die, right? You just, you're like, some crazy person has a bomb and like, it's a problem. So they ran off to try to find this person, this alleged person. And the guy looks at the thing, which is now stuck in the scanner, and says, does someone have four aluminum cans full of something? And, like, there was only three people it could be. So I was like, yes, I have, you know. And he said, what is it? And I said, well, it's it's beans and it's tomatoes because I'm flying to visit two old friends and I'm making them dinner tonight. And <laughs> the woman next to me, another passenger, says, well, I don't think that's allowed. And I'm thinking, lady, you're on my team, right? <laughs> but luckily, the TSA person behind the guy at the scanner was like, well, what are you making? So I described <laughs> to him this curried chickpea recipe that I was making that like my friend had given it to me and then I doctored it up and then I'm taking it back to her to show her what I did with it. I'm going to cook dinner for her tonight. And he was like, wow, that sounds like a really good recipe. It's like cheap and it's healthy and it sounds tasty. He's like, what kind of spite? And like, so lo and behold, when things came back up, they just let it go. That's such bullshit. Because my tartar sauce got confiscated. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, my fish's tartar sauce got confiscated. Such what were bullshit. You doing with it? What were you? Were you taking it to a family member or something? I was taking it to Florida with me. Cause you know what they don't have in in Florida? Frishes. Tart. Oh, you wanted your specific. <laughs> oh man, yeah, dude. I mean, did you did you think they were gonna? Did you not know it was not allowed, or did you just figure they wouldn't? I mean, catch it? I thought it was mostly solid. It's not a liquid. Yeah. It's a it's sauce. Kinda like, it's kind of like it's kind of like ketchup or toothpaste or something, right? Yeah. You know, my sister-in-law has rightly pointed out that toothpaste is not a liquid, so really, tartar sauce is kind of in that same classification. Yeah. You know, it's scientifically got- not a liquid. Yeah. All right, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> Health fascination. Okay. This is kind of dark, but I've been thinking about age stratification and cancer because I realized that cancer isn't, in my observation, is not a like a willy-nilly thing. You don't have the same risk of developing cancer at different ages in your life, 
which made me realize there's there's almost been waves of cancers that I have observed. Like the first one, uh, I was lucky not to know anyone who had a childhood cancer. I don't I don't think maybe I. Sorry if I know you and you had childhood cancer, um, but thyroid cancer in college, and then um, brain cancer, specifically the aggressive glioblastomas for people in their twenties, and then. Uh, lymphoma for people in their 30s. And then I've heard of more like, um, I don't know, like breast cancer, skin cancer starting in 40s. And I just, it, I don't know. I don't know. It it scared me a little bit. And I think I I, I always thought of it as just this random thing. And then, and then, no, I mean, of course it makes sense that different cancers would be like more age specific. But what scared me was the idea that at this point in our lives, we're always in, in some kind of band. Like we're in the, you know, it's like, this is the optimal window for this kind of thing to pop up, for this kind of thing to pop up, for this kind of thing to pop up. And it kind of just, it scared me. I, um, I knew of someone, uh, here in, in Oregon who had really similar symptoms to mine. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned that I'm sick lately, Laura, that I've been going through an illness, but just mm-hmm. in case I haven't mentioned that, yeah, I mean, been a little sick lately. But he had really similar symptoms and ended up having cancer, and that's how they found it. And I just kind of, I think that got me started thinking about it because I realized despite my many mentions of it and my complaints and frustrations about it that really things for me went pretty well. I went to the urgent care. They did all the tests and they said, hey, everything looks good. Go home, sit down, you know, take a load off. And that's not always the case. So I, I think it's it's this bigger, like I always say death anxiety drives the majority of health news. So death anxiety drove this kind of weird observation of mine. I can't say it's a realization. I don't know if it's true. Okay. You can't just say okay to that. <laughs> you have to have a reaction. I, I think that's that's a, a, a fear that you have, and you know it's something that you're working through. So, I mean, I just learned today that most likely I don't have, I won't have schizophrenia because it typically manifests in your twenties, and I'm about to be yeah. thirty-one. So I dodged mm-hmm. that bullet. So it's kind of yeah, kind of thinking the same thing, like. Yeah. Now I just have to worry about depression, which can happen at any time. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of mental illness, serious mental illness tends to pop up in those kind of tumultuous college years. Yeah. You know what else, though, for women, this one's really sad, but your odds of sexual assault decline at a certain point. And I I believe it's somewhere in your 20s. So we're kind of, you know... It, it becomes safer and safer to be female as you get older in, in terms of of rape, unfortunately, or it, I scratch the use of word, anything to do with fortune and assault. But um, yeah, just sometimes, sometimes I think thinking about health or, you know, public health in a big data way is a little bit chilling, you yeah. know, because you, you realize that as much as you feel individual that you are just kind of you're just one of many beings to whom a range of things can happen and at any given time there's high percentage chance of one low percentage chance of the other yeah all right robin (laughs) 
Have we had enough for one day? Yeah, it's enough bad patienting for one day. (laughs) So if you are listening to this and uh, you'd like to share your thoughts with us about death anxiety or cancer, or you want to correct our pronunciation, or you want to share an idea for a story, you can email us at hello at thebadpatient.com. You can listen online via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or however you choose to consume podcasts. And you can visit the show at thebadpatient.com. We want to give a special thank you to Evan Schaefer, our composer. Thanks, Evan. You can listen to his music at soundcloud.com slash Evan Schaefer. And until next time, we are bad patients. Well, practice makes perfect. <laughs>